When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You love them, you hate them, and you can't stop talking about them. Announcers, analysts, pundits, they're all fair game. It's Sports Media Payhem with Alex Reamer. Time to let it rip. Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number seven of the Sports Media Mayhem podcast. My name is Alex Reamer. It's a pleasure to be with you this week, as it is each and every week as we get the mayhem going. You can download the show wherever you can find your favorite podcasts. We are available in Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts. You know the drill. Download, rate, subscribe. Um, I'm going to start off the show here this week with a bit of a victory lap. I believe that... The show's only been around for a little over a month, but I think that we've already launched our first sports media career. Jonathan Papelbon, or JPAP58, as he's also known. Uh, You are a media star, my friend. We had Papelbon on the show last week. He said some pretty explosive things about the Red Sox front office, mainly how he thinks they can, how they think they can outsmart everybody else. He took those comments a step further on WEI last Friday, saying that he doesn't think Heim Bloom, the Red Sox general manager, will last very long in Boston with this current approach. And Papelbon would be a great hire for any radio station or TV station that wants to do that. He has the right idea about how to succeed in this business. Say shit. (laughs) Just say shit that people pay attention to, you'll go viral, you gain traction, there you go. Of course, it also helps that Papelbon was a great closer and is speaking from an area of knowledge when he talks about his ex-teammates, ex-coaches, former teams. He certainly had a lot to say about the Phillies organization over the last few weeks and had a lot to say about the Red Sox last week as well on this podcast and some other shows that he was doing. Uh, So yes, it does help, of course, if you have credibility But Papelbon has that. He would be a great hire because, as I was saying to him on the show, it's rare for a recently retired ex-athlete to speak as freely as he does. That's what made him a great interview as a player. And that's what will make him a great media guy. If someone wants to hire him to talk out of his you-know-what. So, again, very proud to say that I think we've played a role in launching the first sports media career from the show, Jonathan Papelbon, J-Pap. Just remember where you came from, my friend. Uh, we have a good guest coming up on the show this week. Actually, a good friend of mine who I haven't seen in quite a while. So I'm very appreciative for this uh, face-to-face video uh, recording that we do uh, for interviews on the show. Mike Mutnansky is a host in, on WEI in Boston. 
He's the host of the Monday Night, Night Show weeknights. He's also been a part of the Red Sox radio broadcasts for many years as well. And this past weekend, Mutt got his first opportunity to serve as a car analyst for all nine innings. And he did some pretty unique things. He really brought a lot of talk show elements into the baseball booth. This has been a pet project of mine for quite a while about how just about everything in the world has changed since, I don't know, let's say 1965, except baseball broadcasts on the radio. Uh, so I give Mutt a lot of credit for stepping into the booth this weekend and doing something pretty new and pretty fresh. And I think that a lot of people enjoyed it as well. So I talked to Mutt about his time in the booth and all sorts of other general sports and sports media topics, including, including I think, the ungodly spin that we are going to get at a Patriots training camp this summer. And it's already started to an extent. And, you know, I'm always very interested in how Bill Belichick handles the media because he does have a really clear media strategy. And that media strategy is just beat down the reporters until they have nothing left. And I'm always fascinated to see how that process goes. I think largely because I'm not in those rooms with Belichick when he's grumbling away. Uh, So from the outside, it can be fascinating to follow. And you're seeing Belichick. If there was a quintessential Belichick media strategy, it would be what he's done this offseason. And yesterday, Tuesday, the start of Patriots training camp, when it comes to their bizarre lack of official coordinators. This is example 1A of how Belichick likes to grind down the press. And as members of the media, we can't let him get away with it. We can't play this game with him. I'll explain. Let's start with the backstory here. All offseason, as you may know, Belichick has dismissed the importance of titles on his coaching staff. He's really talked about coordinators like they don't matter. And if I were Josh McDaniels, I would take a lot of offense to that. Uh, Belichick has laughed off concerns about not having an offensive or defensive coordinator, saying at the league meetings, it will be many months before we call plays, repeated those lines in May at minicamp. And then Tuesday at the start of training camp, yes, the real thing, Belichick repeated his spiel, quote, we're not really big on titles and all of that. I think it's important that we all work together and create a good final product. That's what we're trying to do. That's what we've always done. Okay, again, we're not big on titles. They don't matter. Yet earlier in the press conference, Belichick emphasized the importance of his title as head coach. Quote, look, I'm the head coach. Ultimately, I'm responsible for everything. So what is it? Do titles matter? They don't matter. Well, I think that's the closest Belichick will get to providing an actual answer for his titleless staff. He wants to protect them. Naming coordinators comes with giving others responsibilities. And Belichick doesn't trust Joe Judge or Matt Patricia to, let's say, be the face of the offensive game plan or handle those weekly calls with the reporters. That must be it. Well, that, and as Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston mentioned, uh, Belichick may not want to pay Patricia in 2022 either. And by not naming him an offensive coordinator, the Lions are still on the hook for his salary this year. So that probably plays a role as well. But ultimately, Belichick is protecting his guys. He's protecting Patricia. He's protecting Joe Judge. 
And as Mike Forio mentioned earlier this summer, he's possibly protecting his kids as well. Let's be honest. The Patriots have not had an official defensive coordinator since 2018. And the way that they ended the season against Buffalo, getting blown out in prime time and then getting blown out in the playoffs, not even being not not even being able to force a punt, and that is not an exaggeration. Those are the kinds of performances that typically get defensive coordinators fired. But oh, guess who is the Patriots' de facto defensive coordinator? That would be Steve Belichick. And guess who is one of the Patriots' secondary coaches? Oh, that would be Brian Belichick. And Florio floated this idea, and it's a really good one. By not naming Steve Belichick, for example, as defensive coordinator, Belichick does not put himself in a position where he may have to fire his son. And if Steve Belichick is not front and center as D coordinator, then Belichick can still hold others on his staff accountable without creating a lot of tension, right? I mean, how would that play out? Steve Belichick, son of Phil Belichick, is defensive coordinator. Phil's not going to fire his kid. Few people would fire their kids. So how do you avoid that situation? Just don't give him the title, and then nobody will ask. And that's what Belichick is hoping will happen, that nobody will ask. So, yeah, don't ask, but that doesn't mean let him off the hook. Here's what's going to happen. And pretty much everybody who's been down at training camp or has covered the team, been around them this offseason, talks to people in the organization, everybody in the know, so to speak, says that Matt Patricia is going to be the de facto offensive coordinator and probably call the plays as well. That's what Tom Curran says. Mike Reese has floated that idea. Ben Volan said that Tuesday. Our own Kyrie Thompson and Andy Hart have been saying that as well. Matt Patricia is probably going to be the de facto OC and call plays. So let's just operate off of that and move on and observe what's going to happen. And don't be afraid to ask Belichick about Matt Patricia specifically, because if you just keep asking about who's the coordinator, who's calling plays, Belichick will stonewall, 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 and hope to just eventually grind everybody down. And that's what he's been trying to do. And it's a really annoying cat and mouse game. But there has to be a way around that because, let's be honest, we know Belichick is not being truthful. We're not really big on titles. Please. Uh, you've had official offensive coordinators in the past. McDaniels was the OC for 12 years. I mean, you are big on titles, just not when they may put your friends or your kids in harm's way. And I think that is exactly what's happening here. And as I also mentioned, we have to be on the lookout for Patriots spin. Anybody who says that the Patriots not having an official offensive coordinator is a good thing is getting their talking points straight from Patriot place. Here's what Robert Griffin III recently said on ESPN's first take. Quote, it's an advantage for the Patriots. Every offensive coordinator that I've ever worked with and every defensive coordinator that I've ever gone up against, they have a shtick. Something that you know, like, this is a massive tendency that they're going to do. But if you're the Patriots, and you don't have that documented, it gives you a slight advantage. If you know anything about Bill Belichick, he's looking at every advantage he can find. 
And that is such baloney. That is one of the craziest things I have ever heard, at least in regards to football analysis. You're saying, RG3, that not having offensive or defensive coordinators is an advantage. So you're saying that every single team in the NFL, including the Patriots, have done it wrong up to this point. Belichick, once again, smarter than everybody else. No way. That's ridiculous. If it was such an advantage, a team would have tried that before the 2022 Patriots, who, oh, by the way, don't have an offensive coordinator because, well, they also don't have an offensive coordinator. They're entrusting Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, of all people, to fill those roles. And then Griffin also, to back up his point, talked about how the Patriots in the past have not had coordinators, such as in 2010. Yes, in 2010, when McDaniels left for Denver, they did not have an official offensive coordinator that season, and they did go 14-2, and as RG3 pointed out in the segment. But, oh, guess who was playing quarterback for the Patriots when they didn't have a coordinator in 2010? That would be Tom Brady. And that's the other big difference that if anybody, anybody talks about the Patriots not having coordinators in the past, the Patriots, and a fluctuating coaching staff, anybody who brings up the past and does not mention that, oh yeah, Tom Brady was the quarterback, is getting their lines directly from the bowels of Gillette Stadium. Seriously, that's why the Patriots in the past have been able to get away with no official OC or ambiguous positions on the offensive staff because of Tom Brady. That's why. Oh, come on, RG3. You should know better. We should also have a better idea of when these Kevin Durant trade discussions actually took place. Do you see that transition? That's not so bad. I say that because... Obviously, this has been the huge talking point, not just in Boston this week, but across all of sports. It was reported early Monday morning that the Celtics and Nets have recently engaged on serious discussions with Kevin Durant, and the Celtics have offered Jalen Brown to Brooklyn for Durant's services. And, well, that report comes out Monday, and now we have conflicting reports about when these talks actually occurred. Brian Windhorst said on the radio Monday that this reported offer, Jalen Brown, Derek White, and a draft pick for Durant, likely happened weeks ago. Shams Karania, who broke the story, said it happened recently. Bleacher Report's Jake Fisher offered a similar timeline. He wrote on Tuesday that according to his sources, the discussions focused on a Brown-Durant trade came weeks ago at the beginning of July. But then wait a minute. ESPN Zach Lowe, also a very respected NBA voice, said the talks actually happened in mid-July, which would be, well, last week. He said, quote, on his podcast Tuesday, I think July 16th, something like that. Something happened between the Nets and Celtics. Something real. I don't know how real it was because everyone's talking to everyone all the time. I don't know what constitutes real, but something happened. Man, talk about couching your opinion, huh, Zach Lowe? I couldn't quite nail down what it was, but that's about when whatever happened, happened. (laughs) Whatever happened, happened. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Now, as we talked about a couple weeks ago with NBA reporter Sean Devaney, when information gets out, like let's say 
Kevin Durant trade talks, you always have to ask yourself, who's leaking this story? Who would, who has an advantage when it comes to leaking the story? Who will, who, which side will this help out? And when it comes to the story June 30th about Durant asking out of Brooklyn, we can surmise that was almost certainly Durant and his agent leaking that to Shams and Woj and all the others because ask yourself why the world would the Brooklyn Nets want it leaked that Kevin Durant wants out. They wouldn't. That ruins their negotiation leverage. That makes the franchise look like a total mess, etc. So obviously, June 30th, we get the news. Durant has asked for a trade. We can surmise pretty confidently that that piece of news came from Durant. So now you ask yourself, weeks later, we get the news. The Celtics have made an offer, a serious offer for Kevin Durant. Who's leaking that? It's probably not the Celtics because they don't want to risk angering Jalen Brown, which seems like it already happened given his SMH shake my head subtweet. Um, so we don't think it's the Celtics. Doesn't make sense for them. Does it make sense for the Nets to leak talks? Well, let's say, let's see. Durant wants out. Trade discussions are really going nowhere. The Nets, rightfully so, want an astronomical package in return for Durant. But they realize that having Durant on their team at the start of training camp in late September could be a tough situation. And they may just have to trade him anyway and then get less for him than they would get this summer. So Celtics, let's put the pressure on. Let's leak that there were serious discussions about Kevin Durant and oh, now it's out there with Jalen Brown, and now there's some pressure to get a deal done. That is what I think actually happened. I think my take on all this is the initial conversations occurred late June, early July, as Brian Windhorst said, but I think that there's been some dialogue, and I think this is an attempt to ratchet up a little bit of the pressure on the Celtics and some other potential suitors as well, saying, hey, yes, Kevin Durant is available on a four-year deal, one of the greatest players of all time, a two-time Finals MVP, 12-time All-Star. Yes, he is available, but he's not going to be available forever. And look, we're, we already have this serious offer from the Celtics, including Jalen Brown. So whenever, and Durant is going to be a great test case for this, whenever something breaks in regards to him, ask yourself, who does this benefit? So there you go. There's some sports media liter literacy 101 for you. Speaking of literacy, whenever I talk about literacy, I talk about Mike Manansky, <laughs> who is uh, a great friend and a great guy for coming on the show this week to talk about, as I mentioned, his debut in the Red Sox booth, changing Red Sox broadcasts and how that look may look like going forward and all of this Patriots. And I also ask him about David Ortiz. Uh, Ortiz, strongly in the corner of the Red Sox needing to re-sign Devers and Bogarts. I think David Ortiz could become the Red Sox' worst nightmare, which would certainly be an interesting uh, twist here. So the Mutt Man is coming up on the other side. Thank you, as always, for listening to Sports Media Mayhem. All right, Mutt Man. So I was mentioning it before you hopped on here. Yeah. Well, great to see you. What's up, buddy? Good to see you. Oh, I was like a hostage in this stupid... I hate... I, this is the worst... You do a media podcast. I'm going to bitch about this for a second. Go for it. The worst development in sports radio slash entertainment is what? this this bullshit. I don't want to be on camera. The whole idea of radio was not on camera. And now everything 
including your podcast. Congratulations, by the way. You're doing this for years. I wish you'd do more Boston media, but that's a different story. Um, Got to feed me too, too much video. I don't look good on video. Look, look at this. You look great. Hairline. This is terrible. I hate these things. But you're I'm good. glad you have a podcast. I'm glad we're talking media. And what were you talking? What, what you could have been talking about me? I, I, I'm a boring subject. Your I, podcast should not be. Uh, actually, it's dog days of summer, so I'm a perfect middle of summer. Nothing going on. Guests that actually works. No catch up with mud. We're going to get it sponsored. It's going to be. It's oh, gonna good. Be- I'm, I'm I'm ready. Once a month. Let's go. You no, know, it's funny you say that because you have no idea how many times I've thought over the last couple of years. Damn! If only they had the WEI Twitch stream when I was on the radio, then oh. I, then I mean, I would have loved that. Are you kidding me? That would have been, I would have watched myself. I would have gone home from each show and then just watched the Twitch recording of the show. To oh, I hate the, the, can, the camera sometimes give you a bad angle. I don't. So you like, you like this video movement in Does sports? I see that I would have been loved being on camera. In the oh. <laughs> and I don't mind it. I mean, you know, I kind of keep it real with the, with the zoom background as you see. You know, I don't have anything like you have a nice sports wall back there. Look, I see Fenway. That's the sport. So one area my wife lets me have some sports stuff. So Fenway, there's some horse racing crap back there. So the Yukon stuff. Yeah, you got some lighting. I like the little Christmas lights. That is. <laughs> no, there are no Christmas lights. Not in college anymore. We did Christmas lights 12 months a year. Um, Love, it. Love it. So you mentioned Fenway, Mutt. I do want to say after years of getting Joe ice cream in the booth, you got your big shot on Sunday doing some color. Yeah. Uh, how did it feel to get behind the mic? Seriously, uh, it was fun, and it, it was. I was talking about this yesterday at Fenway. It was. It was fun because Will was there. Will Fleming did the play-by-play, and not only is Will really good at what he does, but we talk a lot off the air. Like you've made this point, you know, on your podcast. I'm sure we've talked about it off the air. Like if there's no chemistry, it just doesn't. Whether it's a sports talk show or broad, it doesn't work. And Will and I text a lot. He's very. He's much more sarcastic off the air than he's on the air, which we get. More of that from Will, but he let me basically do like a talk show. Like uh, we, some of the stuff yeah. we talked about, uh, you know, there are broadcasters in any sport that would have been very sensitive to boys. It's a little negative right now. Devers, Bogarts, team falling apart, and he was great with it. So it was a fun broadcast to do because Will made it very easy to just basically be a talk show host, joking about what's going on in the field in a you know a relatively boring game eight to four, but talk about bigger picture stuff. So it was fun. Right, and we've talked about that a million times, that, you know, it's on the radio, so when the game may not be the most entertaining, you make it more like a show. And it is amazing that so many things have changed over the decades, but we've said this, the same baseball broadcast, pretty close to what it was, you know. Uh, (laughs) Well, I mean, I think there are places where they're trying to do it differently, um, but I I still hear broadcasts from time to time that are, it's you know, I call it dueling media guides, where it's two, two broadcasters who are just, picking out stuff out of the media. And I, I, I just, I had no interest in it. I, I don't, I, I don't care. Maybe some people do, but I don't care where so-and-so, where did he go to school? You know, and I get there are some games you have to do it, you know, 28 to the five or whatever it was Friday, you're looking for stuff. I'd rather just talk about the state of the team or the state of the sport. I, I can't do it. And that's how a lot of people were brought up though. Like they had the media guide, they go through it, they got their stuff. And I, I'm just not, that's, I can't do that. It wouldn't, it wouldn't come across well. So I got to do a talk show for three and a half hours. It was fun. No, it was good. It was a good lesson on a, on a scorching Sunday. Scorcha. Um, Scorcha. You're a Bostonian, man. It's down on M Street Beach. You know, I could have the Red Sox thing on my little app. Here you go. More Boston than that. Um, so you mentioned growing up. I have a theory that, like, when I first 
realized I wanted to do sports journalism, sports media, play by play was what I thought I wanted to do. Yep. I have a theory that everybody who gets into this business when they're young at first really wants to do play by play. Was that your case? Yeah. I mean, playing wiffle ball in the backyard in the mean streets of Pepperell, Massachusetts, you would announce the games. Like you would say so-and-so what their stat, like that's uh, of course it, what it, what it was. Um, and, and there was a time I got to be honest, I thought I wanted to be like a beat writer and just like follow a team around and not quickly seeing how much work that is and the grind of that is. I, I was out of it, but I, I think you're right. When you're a, even before sports radio, it was just announcing in the backyard what you and your buddies are doing and keeping stats and keeping track of that stuff. If you're a loser like I was, that's what you end up doing. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure you did the same thing. I'm sure there are Alex Reamer cassette tapes of you calling Red Sox games with, uh, you know, yeah. Tim, Tim Naring over to the hot corner. I narrated uh, the whole 04 World Series run. I was on the call for that. <laughs> it was amazing. Good thing those tapes were never found. Um, I have a theory that I wrote about last week. I'm curious to get your take on this. Yep. David Ortiz, I will say, when he first started on TV, I, I pretty much rolled my eyes at all of it because I'm like, this is just a pom-pom waiver, a mascot. You know me. I always want serious, unbiased yeah. But now, though, I think of it, and I hear what he said about Bogarts, pay the man, what he said to Rob, Rob Bradford, about Devers a couple weeks ago, too. Uh, you know, Ortiz, I think, has an interesting role to play here because you saw at the All-Star game, I don't think there's anybody more respected in his sport than Ortiz's. And when he says stuff, I think players really do listen to that. So I think it'll be interesting to watch him as the Red Sox maybe trade Bogarts, don't sign Devers to an extension. I think Ortiz could become a very loud, not anti-Red Sox voice, but be a bit of an agitate, an agitation to them if they don't treat his guys correctly. I don't know. This is a dynamic that I thought of over the last couple of days. Well, he's already more entertained than A-Rod is. Yeah. I mean, you've talked about that that Michael K. A-Rod thing, which is just, again, I get why people are trying to do it, but these imitations of the the one good thing, it's just not, it doesn't work for me. I think with, with Ortiz, like even his Hall of Fame ceremony, like he's able to ad lib and just he's entertaining. And and in a sport where still some of the biggest stars, like Mike Trout's not entertaining. He's a generational baseball player, Reem, but he's not entertaining. Ortiz is still entertaining. They're gonna honor him tonight at Fenway Park. It's gonna be entertaining because he will make it entertaining. And to basically call out the Red Sox, which ba- he's kind of like I don't know, say he's an owner, but he's part of the organization. Forever. The organization. I mean, yes, he's yeah, he's part of the organization. He's like, they gotta re-sign these guys, you know, to, to his credit, like. I think Papelbon, just by telling the truth recently, he's got a betting podcast like everyone else does, and he's starting to make headlines because he'll just say whatever. He called out High and Bloom and said, I'm not sure Bloom's built for Boston. So those are are two big personalities that don't care about the reaction they get. And that's just inherently, you know, more entertaining than that prepackaged A-Rod, whatever he's giving us right now. Yeah, no, totally. And Ortiz, I said, like, you saw at the All-Star game, I don't think there's a single person – in any sport who could go into a dugout or the sidelines or whatever and dap up every single player and have it not be awkward. Like, frankly, I don't even think Brady could do that. I think if Brady walked along the sideline in the Pro Bowl, for example, I don't think he'd be able to dap up every player like he's their boy. I think that's unique to Ortiz, and I think it's a valuable it's a valuable skill set, I think. I would agree with you on that, absolutely. Yeah. We'll see. Um, and, uh, yes, so – Oh, and the other thing with Papuan, I want to say, too, about how I think he'd be a great hire for any radio station. But it shows that, you know, to make – you just got to say shit, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> at 
really, that's you just say shit. And if you're a guy like Papelbon with his resume, you'll get a million aggregators writing your stuff up. I mean, it, it's like the same thing with Perkins. People say, why is Kendrick Perkins become such a bomb tosser? Because he realizes if you just say shit and have opinions, you can back them up, you'll get play. It's really not that complicated. Yeah, and, and I think these guys are realizing, like, you can you can almost say the opposite later down the road, and literally no one's going to call you on it. Like, so, oh, you you said this six months ago. I mean, it just it doesn't matter. Um, so, I think, per, I mean, Perk's taken that role to a different level. I don't think anyone ever thought, myself included, that Perk would be this type of, like, national star uh, on a daily basis talking about the sport. Uh, and Pap's finding that out right now. Like, he, he joked. He didn't mean to do it, but – He's like, man, my I love Twitter. The numbers are going up. Yeah, because you're saying stuff. You're entertaining. At some point, you know, when you, you keep getting gambling things wrong, people will roll their eyes. But for now, like he's got he's got some buzz. And that's that's been the direction of the business now for a couple of years. Um, and I'm sure these athletes are figuring out. But there are other guys like that are as A-Rod, even Brady to an extent. They're so prepackaged and so you know protective. They'll never get to that level, but there's absolutely a niche for, for guys like that because in, in the business, we want content. And when you say things that are inflammatory and people can have different opinions, then you're going to have that content replayed and aggregated everywhere. Absolutely right. Would you know that? Would you know that from experience about the betting, the bets? If you have bad bets, people remember what you. Uh, as far as gambling goes, no. I mean, when the Papillon thing he did the other day, like he's he's putting himself as a gambling guy. Yes. And, it, you know, I, I'm, I'm nitpicking because. He's like, yeah, I'll bet anyone $100 J.D. Martinez will get traded either at the deadline or a week after. I'm like, well, you can't get traded after the deadline. That's why there's a deadline. Nobody cares. Does it doesn't matter. If you're the loudest and most opinionated, that's the business. That's what works right now. Um, another, So that that transla- transitions me. Here we go. Nice. Oh, or does it? Oh, how, how about that? Look at you host, yeah. Alex Reamer. Yes. Thank you, media guy. Robert Griffin yeah. III has been saying some insane stuff about the Patriots. You're aware of this, right? How he says that it's now a competitive advantage to not have any offensive coordinator because you can yep. be so predictable. Very strange. I think he actually did tweet verbatim, advantage Patriots. Um, so... <laughs> My thing with that is, so Robert Griffin, maybe he's throwing bombs because he realized just say stuff, you'll get, you'll get it, you know, the way to get attention. But I really do think that this training camp in particular, and this is always the time for spin, but we really have to watch more than ever about this Patriot spin, because you know that Belichick in his own way does like to get his message out there. And I think any media person who seriously says that not having an offensive coordinator is a competitive advantage needs to be viewed with a lot of skepticism. It needs to be viewed with, are you, are you getting that directly from, uh, from Burge? Are you getting that? I mean, who are you getting that from? Because, and Robert Griffin, I think is one of the leaders because he's been out and proud about this thing. Yeah. And I give, we're talking Tuesday, like this morning, like already Curran's at his breaking point, Tom Curran, who covers the Patriots for, for NBC sports, Boston, who basically tweeted out, I'm sick of this back and forth. Patricia's the play caller. They're not naming him the OC because they want Detroit to pay him. So Curran's already on. I mean, we're not even in August yet. And he's like, no, this is what's really going on here. The RG3 take is bad. And no, we all have bad takes, but there is zero benefit to it. Um, and well, it's, it's, this is a, it, I don't know where this is going. And he, he doesn't really fit into this mold, but maybe you've seen the same thing. Like there's been a divide, I think, between 
talk radio and the podcast industry. Where I think the podcast industry, and I don't listen to a lot of them, but a majority of these team and sports podcasts, they're super positive. Like there's just no negativity. And I get it because you're trying to get fans to download it. And so if you're ripping the team, are they going to download it? Where sports radio is still super negative. And I just, I wonder if at some point, you know, Carabas will rip the Red Sox, which is good. Uh, But like, is is the the team podcast thing become, uh, can, can you be negative? I'll ask you, can you be negative? on like a Celtics podcast, if you're trying to get Celtics fans to download, like how, yeah, how does that work? Yeah. I don't think, I think it speaks to a couple of things. I think that talk radio is so reactionary. You know, you're trying to grip people yep. in a five minute span. And the way to grip people usually is to be loud, is to be more negative, is to be more provocative in that way. Whereas a podcast is more of an easy listen. You're listening to it on a whole commute, a run, you're doing the dishes, you're cooking and I don't think people want to necessarily be as agitated for that long period of time. Because <laughs> cool. it's across the board. I mean, you listen to any podcast, there really is no difference of opinion in any podcast from sports to politics. You don't, you seldom have co-hosts arguing with each other. Most are easy, breezy listens. And I think that that is like part of the, part in my take mold. People just want to be entertained and have their friends talking to them in a podcast it's maybe more of an intimate experience so I, that that's my two cents on it yeah i mean the intimate thing is interesting like the, the listening of you know when you're listening to it I, you know the the streaming you're not listening just to the radio in the car now you can take it everywhere but i i didn't thought about that and it's funny like everyone that's that's the th- that's the benchmark like the pardon my take benchmark and as you know listen to that they they don't they don't infight but they certainly bust balls they're also just really good at what they do. Uh, but I, I had not thought about that. The the intimacy of the podcast and not wanting to be you know, agitated because that's what well, I, I listen to sports talk radio because it does agitate me. I like that agitation. I like that edge to it. I like that urgency to it. And you're right. In a podcast setting, there's there's a less of an urgent feeling to it in a lot of the times. But I think people also do take it too far. Like, I do think that it is still, people still want to you to get to the point a little bit. There's a lot of the, like the JJ Reddick interviews. I'm sure you heard them this season because Marcus Smart was on and a lot of players and he got great stuff from them, but my God, I mean, it would take him two minutes to ask a question. It's like, bro, hurry up here. But it's, he's getting, he's getting good guests and he, he got some good answers out of uh, Marcus Smart. Uh, when he was on there. And that's, it's it's good for those guys, the former athletes that are able to do yeah. it because they have awesome access and the, the trust is there too for these guys. They're able to have trust to, you know, go on those podcasts versus going on, you know, with some, you know, idiot at night in Boston, right? There's, well, there's mean, a better, better interaction that way. So it's a benefit to those players for sure. Well, that's right. I mean, and that's bad news for the idiots on at night in Boston or any other yep. city, because if you're a guy like Marcus Smart and you have something to say, why wouldn't you go to J.J. Redick or Dre, or not Draymond Green, but you know a Draymond Green type of player who's still active, you have a relationship with. So we're really in trouble, Mutt, if uh, all the great interviews now go to the athletes themselves. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, you still got to You got to go like Papelbon can can say great things on his podcast, promote the podcast. He's got to go on bigger outlets. So that'll always be there. And a lot of the current players, they don't say anything anyway. So I'm not I don't feel like we're totally missing out. Uh, and they're 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 giving content to Sports Talk Radio because there are so many flipping podcasts now. It just doesn't, especially like I, I'm into the sports gambling stuff, and there's just I joke about it, but Jonathan Papelbon's now doing a betting podcast. I mean, we've reached we've reached the peak of hey, let's tie you into sports betting 
and let's promote it because everyone, everyone's sports betting. Yeah, you're betting. You're betting. Let's have a podcast that involves betting. That's all they do. Except here in Massachusetts, I'm still working on that. My uh, former, my former senator there. We're we're, we're still working. Yeah, on you got. I, I mean, I have a lot. It's a whole different. I got. I have a lot of questions, but we're we're what six day, five days away from the deadline to get that done here in the state. And I, I'm not. I'm not confident. Thank you. Sure. Thank you, Eric Lesser. Thank so you. everybody has a betting podcast, including you. Tell us about yep. this. Uh, we do a daily pod, uh, daily, my producer's on vacation, so you won't hear it today, but we do a, uh, daily, uh, sports betting podcast. It's anywhere between, you know, five and 30 minutes, uh, locally based on what's going on in the Red Sox, Bruins, Celtics, and Patriots, some national stuff. Cause we got, some, I mean, Ryan Hannibal, speaking of guys who went big time, he worked with yeah. us at EEI. He's now a bet MGM. He's become one of the sharps when it comes to golf betting. We get him on for the majors. So. Uh, it's something that Shime and I would be doing, you know, private. Like, hey, what do you like tonight for the Red Sox? So we're just doing it in podcast form. BetQL Boston, uh, available everywhere you get your podcasts, and occasionally some video. But we, I, we're not, we're not full time video like you are yet, Team Reem. I'm not, I'm not ready for that. It takes a while to get to this point. You'll get there. One not day. ready. No, no, I got to be a star like you are with the big sports media podcast. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Yeah. All righty, Matt, man. Thanks so much. Appreciate the time. Oh, it was easy, buddy. I'm glad. Again, I'm glad you're doing this. All right. So, thank everybody for listening to the Sports Media Mayhem podcast, episode seven. And a big thanks again to Mike Matnansky for taking the time coming on the show this week. As always, if you if you have any show ideas, guest ideas, topic ideas, drop me a line. My Twitter handle is at AlexGreener1. That again is at AlexGreener1. So long, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.